Hi, I'm Land F from Lean Pub, and in this episode of the Front Matter Podcast, I'll be interviewing Wem Dubloa. Based in Belgium, Wem is a freelance Java developer who's been working mainly with Java and Spring for the past 25 years. He has developed and designed various software projects that have seen deployments worldwide. You can find him on Twitter at Wem Dubloa and check out his website at wemdubloa.com. And you can also find him on Mastodon. Wem is the author of the Lean Pub book, Modern Frontends with, with HTMX. Use HTMX with Spring Boot and Timeleaf to build dynamic and interactive web applications. In the book, Wem explains the revolutionary promise of HTMX, a technology that redefines front-end development. Written for programmers, the book will help you master HTMX alongside Java, Spring Boot, and Timeleaf, transforming the way you build web interfaces. In this interview, we're going to talk about Wem's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience as an author. So thank you very much for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast. Uh, thank you, Len. Thank you for having me. I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you found your way into a career in building web applications and writing books. Uh, sure, sure. Um, so I live in, in Belgium, as as you mentioned. Um, I started with computers quite early. Uh, I think uh, it's one of one of the things my father saw already in the time. It was like the time of the Commodore sixty four, things like that. We we had that at home and. Uh, he knew that was a kind of the future, and so we got to play with uh, all all that stuff. Uh, we always had had computers growing up, and then suddenly the the internet came uh, bit by bit, <laughs> or literally bit by bit at that time, uh, because <laughs> the modes were very slow compared to now. Um, and then I I graduated. Uh, in fact, in the year two thousand, uh, I graduated um, as a as an engineer. I was then already very much interested in software. I wrote a bit of things on the side, and I started my career at a, at a big company here in Belgium. Uh, I had a really good experience there. They they really teached me a lot about programming. They helped me grow. Um, yeah, I had had some several other jobs as well that helped me grow, um, but then. Um, to get to the, the, the book story. Um, so I had a book before this one. Uh, it's called Taming Timeleaf. That was my first book on LeanPub. And in fact, it was never my intention of writing a book. It was more like I have, yeah, I have a bit of bad memory. And sometimes I just write down stuff. So I, uh, I, I remember it uh, because... I was in a consulting business at the time and yeah, we started lots of projects and sometimes you copy from the previous project a bit, like, well, how did I do that there? And then you look up the previous project and things like that. And I was like, I'm going to start to write these things down so I can quickly fix the, uh, find them back. And then kind of naturally that grew into a, a book and then I, I looked into how can I get this book out of the door and maybe some other people will be helped with that. So that's when I, I got to LeanPub. I already knew LeanPub from other uh, book authors. And yeah, so I made a PDF, uh, <laughs> got an account, and uh, and I got the book out of the door, which was really exciting to do at first. I was like, yeah, if I ever sell 50 books, that would be really, really great. Uh, and yeah, now I, I sold 10 times that much, and then uh, now I'm on my second book. So yeah. Yeah, it's thanks. Thanks fun. very much. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing this. I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear it's fun. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you know people think writing books is is all pain and suffering. Um, 
uh, but there but there can be fun. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about. So just looking at your LinkedIn profile here, and at uh, yeah, I believe you studied electrical engineering at university. Yeah, 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 indeed. indeed. How did you get into uh, actually programming? Well, um, to be honest, the the programming part was the only part of the whole curriculum that really interested me. Uh, and um, but yeah, here locally, um, we didn't have really um, at that kind of level and and a software uh, study that I could do. So they had like this electronic study and then with an option, it was like an add-on or a specialization into ICT and, and programming. Um, but I learned a lot on my own, I must say. So it started all with the, the Commodore 64, like I told you, and then some books and you just type over and, and you try some stuff. And then and when I was in, um, yeah, uh, what you call in the US high school, um, I then did in QBasic, I believe it was. Then I I did like graph drawings of a sign and all this like these these formulas that you learn then in high school about how mathematical functions are are plotted. In fact, my code was so bad it drew very slowly, but it was like animated. So <laughs> it was like. Uh, Probably because it was badly written, but anyway, it did it and it was kind of nice because it was animated, but, uh, yeah. So, and then I just learned from there a lot of, a lot of learning on, on the internet, uh, later on and, and books and, uh, learning from colleagues as well at, at my first years on the job, I learned a lot there as well. That's really great. Um, I've heard to sort of people have different vintages and, you know, that sort of, there's a, there's a certain vintage of lean pub author and programmer out there who started with the Commodore 64, yeah. literally b buying paper books or magazines and copying programs like yeah, yeah. character by character from the book or magazine yeah. into the, into the, yeah. and the, In the beginning, you have no was. clue what you're doing, but <laughs> you learn bit by bit and I, you write little programs and yeah. One question um, I always like to ask people when this topic comes up on the podcast is, if you were starting out now, like you were eight, graduated high school, you know, as we call it in North America now, yeah. um, with the intention yeah. of having a career like the one you've had, given all the online resources, given the availability of books like, like yours, for example, and things like that, would you study at university for a full degree? Um, I think that's still a very good option. Um, the, the problem is the good thing is there is a lot and the problem is there is a lot. So it's kind of how, how do you know where to start? Um, how do you structure your learning? I think that's, that's very difficult. You can watch YouTube tutorials for hours and days on end, but maybe not really learning or you just skip from a tutorial that's way above your current skill level to something that's maybe too easy and. And if you just watch and never do, um, then I think a university will, will do that to you. It will bring structure and it will force you to do, to really program. And you can only learn by doing and programming, I think. Um, you, you need to read and then apply it. Um, so I think that's still a very good option, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. Um, I very much agree uh, about the structure uh, aspect of, of education. Um, you know, uh, it also ties yeah. into why I think a book is is also very good. 
compared to I also have my my website and some blog mm. posts and I put things there. I also see the book more as like a structured learning path um, compared to the, the things I share on the blog, which are more like bite-sized, uh, small tips, things like that. Also very interesting. But if you really want to learn, I think a structured approach like a course or a book uh, is, is probably better uh, to really advance your skills. Yeah, and you you often uh, I mean it's sort of like quote sort of it ought to go without saying that you don't know what you should begin with because you haven't been on the journey yourself yet. Um, yeah. uh, that does imply trusting a teacher at some point. But I'm just thinking of an analogy from martial arts. I used to study some traditional Chinese martial arts, and every once in a while, someone would come into the school and be like, "Can you teach me nunchucks?" And it's like, "Well, <laughs> well, f- well, first you have to strengthen your legs." And that means okay. just like standing in the horse riding stance for an hour, kind of like I mean, not we didn't do an hour, but like you know, yeah. you could actually spend your classes just like working on your stance. Yeah, um, that's what you're going to be doing for a year, and then yeah. <laughs> and then after that, we'll maybe teach you some fighting, and then a year later, maybe you'll get to like you know use a weapon. But we're not going to just you're not. It would be dangerous to give you a weapon on day one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, yeah, I can relate. Uh, I can understand what you what you mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just one question I want to ask, because I, you know, one of the privileges of this podcast is getting to interview people from all around the world. Um, what's the tech scene like in 2023 in Belgium? Um, well, f- I only know what I know, uh, obviously. Um, so currently, it's it's good, and there's there's lots of demand uh, at this point. So uh, I think for yeah for seasoned consultants or senior consultants uh, um there's there's lots of demand of course it's more i i think it's getting more and more difficult for junior developers and so uh, the current the company i currently work with they they have a good policy for uh helping out juniors uh, i have two now on my team as well that i'm helping out i think it's important because if we don't help juniors there will be no more seniors at the end right um so yeah yeah absolutely. it's difficult yeah, absolutely. because because companies always want like immediate results and when you get from school you think you know everything and then you get to the job and then it's kind of uh, okay maybe i don't know everything and but that's all normal and and it's all part of the learning uh but we we have to yeah we have to help the juniors right uh help their journey yeah, one way you could do that is writing books, and uh, you've you've yeah. got a new one out. You've got a new yeah. one out, um, which is very good. Uh, uh, Modern front ends with HTMX, as I said. And so, one thing I was looking forward to about this this interview is that in order to explain what HTMX is, you kind of have to explain how web applications work, um, right? Which is which you do in your book, uh, and uh, and I think that would be a great sort of thing to talk about on the podcast because you know probably a lot of people are watching this through a web application. They probably use them all day long, every day. But how do they actually work? Uh, is an interesting question to answer, and so in order, my 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 bigger question is what's HTMX. But let's say you were going to you start explaining it to someone who doesn't know anything about how yeah. computers work. Uh, where would you? Okay, would you that's start? A, that's a big jump, uh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, well, uh, everybody I assume knows how to browse the web and go to web web page. So what happens basically is your the web server will when you enter a URL in your browser, the web server returns the web page, which is HTML. HTML is the 
the thing that that your browser renders it contains like the text you see it contains links to the images you see it contains um links to the css that's how it's styled like big letters small letters all all these kind of things and you have your page displayed um what htmx allows you to do is um replace in fact parts of the page with other html so when you click on something it will dynamically swap it out to other html so you, you get kind of an update um a very typical example of this is like if you scroll facebook or any kind of social site as you scroll down more content appears at the bottom so it, it kind of dynamically uh, injects that new that new image that new text and the new post uh, these kind of things and htmx makes it really easy to uh, to implement that without having to write tons of uh, of, of uh, javascript to do that um, so htmx can work with any backends now my book primarily focuses on java uh, and spring boot and timeleaf because yeah that's what i've been working for uh, sorry working with for the last 20 years and so but htmx can in fact work with any backend so it can if you're a .NET developer you can also use htmx if you like php or python or uh, whatever backend you can you can use that as well so uh, even those developers they can certainly also check my book uh, and and learn how to integrate htmx into the backend and then just adjust the the java side of things to their own uh, programming language yeah so to try to try and put it in uh, my my i'm not pretending naive terms um so uh on your end as a user like you you open your computer and you click on google chrome what you're using is what web developers call the client so that's right. the client that you have and then yeah. the server is like you can imagine in the old days, it was like there might have been one machine sitting in a rack of yeah. a stack of machines, and that was that was another computer. <laughs> but that computer right. has all the has all the information that the yeah. service you're using wants to provide. And so you're when you do something like click a button on your client, that sends a message to the server that then sends right. back what you've requested. So it it it, yeah. it it processes what you sent it, yeah. and then it sends you something back. And, and so, tra yeah, traditionally, and and when you use server-side rendering, as it's called, with Timeleaf, or or in the, in PHP or in .NET, it's the same. You would replace the full page. Um, so, in in the um, yeah, let's say ten years ago, it was normal that the whole page was refreshed every time you click on something. But now people expect more. They expect like fine-grained updates in the UI automatically a notification appears on your web page when something happens things like that and or you go to a full um, javascript application to do that like uh, react or angular and um, but that's a whole different uh, software stack that you need to learn and um, one of the drawbacks there is it changes so rapidly like every six months you have to relearn your skills there because everything changes so fast there and with HTMX, you can just take the skills you already know, uh, or they, in my opinion, are are easier to learn and, and more steady as time goes by. Um, and you can just add HTMX to that and have those fine-grained updates and deliver like the user interface things that people expect nowadays. Like that's why the book is called Modern Frontends, 
because people expect this this high degree of interaction um, so they don't have to refresh the whole page and lose their scroll position and things like that. So um, that's what you can do with HTMX. Um, yeah, and so instead of maybe just a, I mean, maybe I might have this completely wrong, but sort of, it's sort of it, the server needs to send less information to the client. Is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, indeed. HTMX? It doesn't yeah. send back the whole page, just like a small small part of the page that you want to have updated. Um, that's cool. Like that's a cool. very simple example of that would be like just lazy loading. You just uh, load a few blocks and then as you scroll and you bring things into view you, you ask to the server oh give me more information this, this is what yeah you can call it lazy loading or, or just endless scroll where you like on Facebook or yeah, where you can some people call it doom scrolling but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's if you're if you're looking at bad things on purpose kind of um, uh, yeah no that's that's really great to hear how these things work and I you know that's it's probably an interesting insight too uh, people who are programmers themselves that like things get things are changing so fast all the time uh you know that like programmers need to you need to you need to like as a programmer you need to learn how to learn uh that's kind yeah. of one of the primary yeah. things you need to do it's not like you just learn one set of things and then you just use that forever um it's like a very yeah. dynamic activity yeah. yeah you really need to stay stay up to date uh, with all these things so uh, books help obviously but also just being on, on Twitter or on uh, various other social media going to your local meetups also helps a lot um, and having good colleagues to learn from that also helps a lot uh, so yeah, yeah that's always nice a that reminds me of something very specific where I mean we're, we're kind of past it now but um, and as speaking of coming from a certain vintage I think we come from a similar one I might be a little bit a little bit uh older than you but um uh, i remember when when it was when you cemented the internet came around right and you know all of a sudden that meant that if you were if you wanted to write programs you didn't have to go necessarily go buy paper books or paper magazines there were resources online that you could access and a lot of this happens in communities and things like that and it's funny that this might sound funny to people listening to it now but there was a time when it was like controversial to give employees access to the web on their computer at work uh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. managers managers thought, oh, you're just going to be wasting time on. I mean, this was before Facebook, but that became a kind of avatar of it. You're just going to be wasting time on Facebook or you know, you know, you know, in some chat community or something like that. But the fact is that for programming, particularly because it, there's always more to learn, new things are always coming up and things are always changing. Being engaged with the community constantly, like not all day long, exclusively, but like being engaged, like so. For example, being on Twitter, like. That's a person doing work uh, if they're engaging with it correctly. They're not just sort of wasting time. Yeah, true, true, true. And there's now GitHub as well and all the the, the whole open source thing. And also ties into um, like what you had before was like, this is my part of the, the source code in, in companies. And some companies even today still have this like, I need to close this for my colleagues because that's my part and it's my job security. And we don't see that anymore, I think, in the modern modern mm. programming. And, and, and nowadays, it's a lot more open. People pair program, work together, because problems are getting more and more complex. Because like all the basic stuff, we have open source libraries now for that. So before you could spend hours, um, weeks, months, maybe even building like this ground layer of some kind of in-house framework. 
but now we have so many very good open source libraries you can build upon. So it's more and more important that as a programmer, you're more engaging with the customer and not just like the, the old cliche of the programmer sitting in at home uh, in the dark and not, not talking to anybody, just shove the pizza box under the door, uh, things like that. I don't see that anymore because we're really, we're, most of the people are solving real customer issues and, and not so much working on framework things anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing when I'm sort of shouting at an app that I'm using and shaking my fist at it uh, is um, that I'm always reminded of. It's like, oh, the people who made, I mean, it's not necessarily the programmers, but like the people who made this don't use it. The people who made this don't interact with people who actually use it. Um, and you can, once you, yeah. once you've noticed that pattern, you can see it and it's like, oh, you know, like this the idea of, of these separation, these conventional separations breaking down is actually really good for like making better products that work better for I think people. Mo most software developers, well, not, not everybody, but a lot of software developers I know their their nicest projects to work on is where they can closely collaborate with the end customer. Cause then you really feel like what I'm doing here. It matters. It matters to the person. And if you have like 10 layers of managers in between the user and, and the developer, then things kind of break down of, or it becomes difficult to know, like, what do they really want? Do they really use this? Uh, so, yeah, and definitely. then you get these things that, that users are frustrated, like what were those developers thinking, but maybe yeah, <laughs> they didn't know, like, uh, people cannot use it like that or, um, uh, so. Yeah, that that reminds me one in house practice we have at Lean Pub is that when um when someone reports an issue or asks for a feature or something like that, we we uh when we create the story in um uh shortcut, which is what we currently use um for managing kind of developer stories and things like that, we always include like we copy paste the message from the from the customer, um, so that the developer doesn't just get a kind of um you know set of requirements. They also okay. see like what the, how this person expressed what they are the frustration that they have or the yeah. problem that they encountered and seeing how they express it having like a kind of like name attached to it and like you know the the words that the person actually wrote really help like yeah. people like understand the context of it and how things that for example like again like not everybody even even someone who like uses an app themselves that they're building they don't use every aspect of it or some aspects of it might not be important to them at all and will be entirely important to other people. And these things yeah. can be a really good reminder that like, you know, how other people are actually looking at the thing that you're doing and help you make decisions, like the nuanced decisions, like when it comes to the notoriously difficult thing about naming things and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really one, yeah. And not, so what you said about, uh, maybe you're not using the, the full app. It, it reminds me of something I, I read once about Microsoft Word, like, uh, everybody says, oh, I'm only using 5% of Word. And then uh, somebody on the team said, yeah, but everybody's using another 5% of Word. <laughs> so that's why we, we have such a big application. Uh, not not sure if it's true or not, but I thought it was a funny story. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a, that's a good way of, I mean, that's a good, I don't know, that rationalization for how complicated Microsoft Word <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I could talk about work all the time. One of the funny things we we sort of experience at LeanPub. So, we it, on LeanPub you can do what well what Web does is you can break you can create your ebook files however you want. Use our upload writing mode to get up on our bookstore, 
And then you can, you know, use all the other lean pub features that we have that are sort of interesting. And some of them are unique in the world of self-publishing book platforms. But we also have our own writing modes where you write in plain text in a markup syntax called Markua. So basically all this means is like, uh, you know, in, in, if anyone remembers what typewriters were, the reasons typewriters had an underline feature was to indicate that this should be in italics when it's actually turned into like a printed book. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So like that was a markup, a markup syntax was basically being used. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's what underlining was for. Um, and, uh, or at least that's one of the, one of the major uses that were made of it uh, by book publishers when they were publishing books. And, um, but we, but of course we get people who come to LeanPub and they're like, they see this writing mode and they try it out and they're like, plain text markup syntax, this is all too complicated. And I'm like, you're using Microsoft Word. Microsoft <laughs> Word is 10,000 times more complicated than this. Um, you know, you can take whole courses on Microsoft Word. Uh, but, but in any case, I'm digressing. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's true that, you know, um, seeing how different people are using a product that you're working on, I completely agree with you, you know, having that connection between not just the sort of like, you know, customer support and the customers, but like the, you know, actually like the person at the very end of the line, who's actually doing the building and having some connection to the customer can really make a big difference. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Moving on to talk a little, actually one last thing about, so go back to your book. Uh, so um, where did HDMX come from? How how old is it? Um, how old is it? Um, well, um, there is a project before HDMX called uh, intercooler.js that I know. So for clarity, I did not write HDMX at all. I'm just an enthusiastic uh, user. So uh, Carson Grohls is the, let's say, the inventor of it, the main developer. And he had a, a, a similar library called intercooler.js. Uh, I'm not sure what's happened to that. It still exists, I think. And and why he, he switched it up to HTMX, um, that I don't know either. Uh, but I know that's, that's like the thing. And I started some year ago, I think, um, with, with HTMX. And... The, the main reason for me to looking look into HTMX is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Java developer and I, I really don't like much the whole Angular and reacting. I think it's way too complicated for what it does. So, uh, but of course I'm not blind to um, the drawbacks of, of using time leaf and server-side rendering. Like I said, the whole page re-renders and all these modern UI features you cannot uh, implement properly uh, with that. So that's why HTMX drew my attention. If you look at the examples on the website, it shows all this, these nice UI patterns that you can implement with it. And it was like a few lines of code and I had had amazing results uh, very uh, in no time, let's say. So that's what really drew me in. And then I started to study it a bit more, write some blog posts about it. Uh, and then I, I was like, yeah, maybe I can write another book. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's a great that's a great opportunity for me to segue into the last part of the interview, where we we talk about the guests' um, uh, process for writing and things like that. Um, okay. And and yeah, and so I mean, you've written like a, you know this this new like big big it's like almost three hundred pages with like you know big big pages. Uh, and as you were talking about structure before as well, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your approach to to writing. Uh, yeah. Do you sort of make an outline and block off time and things like that? Um, 
well <laughs> no <laughs> my um i have to be honest my um uh, so my first book uh was was very unstructured uh, i have to say i was like um developing the in my first book you develop an app an application app application from like zero to to the finished product you just chapter by chapter you add stuff to to the same application and you build the whole application and i i kind of had a rough idea where i wanted to go but i didn't write an outline it it grew very naturally uh just writing the book writing the codes like side by side write some code write uh, some chapter on on that uh, as i as as i progressed so it's uh it was for me even kind of strange at the end that i had like oh this is like very structured <laughs> the outcome in the end so that was was good but now for HTMX, it was a bit differently there. I really created an outline before with like, these are the topics I wanted. And the structure was like, I'm going to explain like two, three chapters of things in HTMX and then I'll build a bigger example. And then again, two, three chapters explaining some other stuff. And then again, a, a bit of a bigger example to, to show how everything works together. That was uh, the, the main idea I had uh, on, uh, for uh, for this book. Um, as the writing itself, uh, what I use is uh, ASCII doc, um, mainly because I think uh, the thing you have right now with uh, the Marcua um, thing was probably not there uh, quite yet uh, at the time when I started my first book. So, and I was already using ASCII doc, which is very similar uh, to Markdown and to what you guys have right now. But the main thing for using ASCII doc is I can take snippets of code from my actual code and inject them into whatever um, to, in, to into my book and then generate a PDF out of that. So that's a big advantage because I know the code is correct, which I put in my book because yeah, I just it's the actual code that I, I tested and, and ran uh, as well. So that's that's really nice. Also, it's very nice when I need to update. I can update the example code and then regenerate the book and it has all the all the correct uh, updated uh, code, in fact, in the book. So yeah. and for my new book, I was kind of doubting um, what to use, but I, I opted in to yeah, stay with my system that I knew and also because I wanted to have the same styling and things like that. And that's why I uh, I went with ASCII doc uh, once more. The um, last question I always like to ask uh, on an episode if the guest is a, is a Lean Pub author is, um, if when you are using LeanPub, um, there is uh, something that has had you shaking your fist at it going, damn you, LeanPub, uh, that's either broken or really unusable, um, or if that you would ask us to fix for you, or if there was some magical feature we could build for you, uh, what would you ask us to do? Oh, um, <clears throat> there's nothing really coming to mind uh, right now. I think it's... Uh... Yeah, it's 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 working. It's working good. Sometimes you need to search a bit in the menus, but yeah, there there are many options and then not things to to set up. But usually, I I kind of quickly find what I need to have. Um, this time it was also the first time doing like a bundle of my my previous book and my current book. This was also a very nice experience. Uh, quite easy to do. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a happy author on LeanPub. I must say. Okay, well, thank you. I mean, if you do ever think of anything, you've got my email address, please just reach out and, and, and let me know. Uh, but I'm actually particularly glad to hear that the bundle process worked because that's like, 
it's like then that it was simple because it you know it's it's kind of it's a little bit that could it could use some refinement but i'm glad to hear that it, it's sort of like e- easily sort of understood yeah 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 it was was perfectly fine well, uh, Webb, uh, thank you very much for taking some time to be on the podcast with us today. And thank you very much for using LeanPub as a platform for your book. We really appreciate it. We always love to see great new books show up. Yeah, thank you uh, for uh, creating LeanPub. Uh, I, I think without LeanPub, I probably would have never written uh, any book. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, and, and the platform you, you have built and you're still building. So I think it's uh, very nice that you have done that. Thank you. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a LeanPub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.